welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We celebrated 150 years of being a part of the Methodist movement as a congregation in our community of Sellersburg two weeks ago. And it's, it's not a small thing to be serving a community for 150 years. And as a part of that celebration, we are honoring our roots by connecting with them in a new way, or maybe reviving that connection for those of you who are lifelong Methodists. We began a six-week discipleship study series last week, And we spent time talking through what it means to be a disciple as a United Methodist and our own unique expression. And so if you remember, say it with me, a disciple is a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving God and loving others. Yes, you might have, you see it on the screen behind me. So helping you out, trying to be a good teacher here and as you learn as good students, we are part of the church um, as people who have received the calling to follow. And so the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is in our hearts to bring us from this place of self-centeredness into a life of God-centeredness, which leads us into becoming the very love of Christ for the world, to be disciples. We have what we need from God to do this. And so if you've become a member of the United Methodist Church, if you've said yes to the unique calling of this tradition, um, great, great. And if you haven't said yes, then let's talk right after service. Let's, let's talk about what that means and, and how you're feeling called to say yes. And when you say yes to the church in general, uh, through baptism in the United Methodist Church, if you're expressing your faith as a new part of your life, then we, we do baptism. And baptism is a way for you to honor that inward grace with an outward sign. And so you either are new to the faith as an adult, or if you were an infant and you were baptized, because we practice that in our faith tradition, and then you get a little older and want to claim that faith for yourself, then we do that through confirmation. Or or you transfer your membership in from another church into this church. And so we, we honor the baptism you've had once and for all, but you do commit yourself to the church in this unique way as a United Methodist. So whether you were baptized as an adult, an infant, and in confirmation, or if you're coming from another church, when you've said your membership vows in our tradition, you commit yourself in these five ways. One, to prayer. Two, to presence. Three, to gifts. Four, to service, and five, to witness. Now, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't, but why these five? And what do they mean? What do each of these five things mean in our tradition? What exactly am I committing myself to when I say yes as a United Methodist in this way? These are are great questions, and I'm I'm glad you asked. (laughs) We will, uh, we're going to begin to walk through in these, these five weeks, starting today, each of the five elements. And so today we're going to focus on prayer, or as we're calling it, the path 
of biblical prayer. Now remember, discipleship is a path. It is a path we walk. It's not the destination, it is the path itself. And so whether this walk is entirely new or if you've been on it for decades, we continue to grow in our faith and understanding, all of us. And thinking of the path as a whole, as the point of discipleship, that's a good place to begin. Now, let me ask you, have you ever seen one of these? Uh, it's called a coat of arms. I imagine most of you knew that, but maybe you haven't seen one before. Or maybe you've seen it and don't know the tradition behind them. It's a very old tradition in the West, and it concerns the legacy of a group of people. So maybe it's a country, maybe it's royalty of a particular country, maybe it's just one particular family. And I see the one that's got my family name up there. I didn't know our family had one. Actually, there were several, and I just chose this one for whatever reason. I have no idea what it means, but I'm kind of curious. And you even see a football team here has a coat of arms. And so this legacy of a group, no matter what group it is, it brings symbols into the understanding of their identity. And so we see symbols of war here, peace, power, unity, status, victory, character, integrity. And it's all providing this identity and purpose to the group that claims this coat of arms. And so it tells a story about the past, a past whose goal is to be a trajectory for the sake of the future. So a coat of arms says, this is where we've come from. This is what we're about. This is who we are. And this is where we've been headed. And it's also a calling to the current people of the group. Keep the path going. It's up to you now. Learn. Learn our path. Understand it. Live into it. Teach it. Keep it going. And so... Another way to picture this trajectory idea is if I were to stand on this side of the stage and I were to throw a ball across to the other side of the stage and I were to freeze it halfway across, we would map out that ball from its frozen point back to the point where I released it, and that would give us a trajectory, uh, it would give us its actual path, and from the actual path, we could go back to the ball and map out the trajectory of where it's going to go. Now, my son happens to be very good at physics, uh, a, a subject I was not very good at, but he is. So he could actually probably map out exactly where that ball will land based on where it began. And so a coat of arms gives you this trajectory. This is where we've come from. This is where we are. And this is where we're headed. And so we learn about the past not to return to it because that's impossible and not the point, it, but it's to give us a direction forward to keep going, to continue the progress of those before us. So our first element of discipleship, prayer, it's strikingly similar to a coat of arms. And you may be thinking, huh, <laughs> what? Uh, prayer is something we're both familiar and unfamiliar with. We've heard thousands of people pray, yes, Maybe we've seen thousands of people pray in our lifetime. You've heard the fancy prayers, those prayers that feature a lot of uh, strange names for God repeated over and again. You've heard simple prayers. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you've been in pain or suffering and you've heard a comforting prayer. 
prayer. Or maybe there's a time when you've been complacent and you've heard a challenging prayer that's urged you in a new direction. There's prayers of all kinds. You've probably prayed yourselves, right? Publicly, yes, unless you're, unless you're batting a thousand on avoiding praying publicly, like so many in meetings that I'm in, if I say, who would like to pray, I'll, suddenly things on the desk or in their hands or elsewhere in the room become very interesting and their eyes become fixed and seem to avoid mine or whoever it is that's asked them to pray. Or maybe you pray privately. I've prayed privately many times, and for a long time, my prayer has looked like a checklist, a checklist of wants. Here's what I need, Lord. Here's what's going on that, that I need your help with. Here's, here are the things I need as a student that was, you know, help me get an A on this test that I didn't study for or, or help me perform well in this sport that I want to win in. And now maybe it's I want a new job or a better car or I want to meet the love of my life or maybe I just want to get out of this situation that's really hard. I need to have this debt paid off. I need to complete whatever it is that is in front of me and God bless my family and bless my friends and maybe even curse my enemies. Or maybe if you play sports, it's help us, help us beat the other team while they're praying the same thing. Help us win. <laughs> and so sometimes our prayers look like this, yes? A monologue. A one-way wish list. We're all guilty of this. So if we understand that maybe that's not the best way, then it begs the question, well, what is the path of biblical prayer? What, what are we committing to with the United Methodist Church in the form of biblical prayer? And so what we're going to do, we're going to turn to Scripture and we're going to walk through one of the most famous Christian prayers, and I know you've all said it because we just got done saying it earlier in the service. And first, I want you to know that this prayer that we say, it comes to us in the middle of one of the most famous sermons. The Sermon on the Mount is what we call it from the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the gospel we call Matthew. Now, this sermon is the most famous sermon, and it gives you some really good teaching. If you're new to the faith and you want to understand what Jesus and the kingdom are all about, go to Matthew 5 through 7 and just read that and you'll get a lot of good stuff. But understand too that in first century writing, when, when you're given a volume of work and, and chapters 5 through 7 is a particular volume of a particular sermon, if you go to the middle of what's given to you of that volume, you come to the heart of it what the focus is. And if you go to the middle of 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, this sermon, you come to this prayer. This prayer is at the heart. And so let's hear it. Let's hear Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need. Before you ask, pray like this. 
Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we just said a version of this prayer. It's familiar. You know it. It's a little unfamiliar maybe in this reading because we're used to the King James Version, which adds a line at the end, but that's a discussion for another time. Hopefully this version, this translation, helped the prayer make a little more sense. I mean, this is how the gospel author shared Jesus' teaching of prayer. And what's the focus of this prayer? If this is biblical prayer, then what's it after? Well, through our reading this week, we know that biblical prayer is not about a monologue or wish list. It's not about using fancy words and going on and on. Rather, it's about growing in relationship to God and others, which makes sense. The disciple is about following Jesus, your life centering on loving God and loving others. This prayer makes a lot of sense. So let's walk through the prayer line by line. Let's see how it offers us a way to the path of discipleship. So the first line, our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Now, in this line, we acknowledge our relationship with God. That's how the prayer begins. Now, it says our Father. Understand that God is not male just because we refer to God as Father. Rather, the emphasis is on the relationship. We are children. And so we refer to God in the first century understanding of households, and that's why they use the word Father. There's an ancient history behind why Father was chosen instead of Mother. But if the relationship makes more sense to you to call God as Mother, even grandmother, because maybe that relationship makes the most sense to you. Then say that. Say mother, grandmother, or say father. The point is that we honor the relationship and we acknowledge that it's this relationship that originates in heaven. And when we say in heaven, what we do is we're pointing to the realm where everything is as it should be. Because with God, things are as they should be. Now, here in our world, they're not. One day, heaven will be on earth. That's the direction this all has been headed. We could trace the path of the people of God and see that the trajectory is going where God has promised it will go. Heaven will be on earth. And sometimes we catch glimpses of it now, don't we? You catch glimpses when things are as they should be in a relationship. But our hope lies in our relationship to God and trust that things are headed to the goal that God has promised. And so we follow up with our Father in heaven with a supplication for God to live up, to uphold the holiness of your name, to live up to who you've always claimed to be. And we can go to many verses in the Old Testament to find the character of God given to us. And so here is an example of this echoed passage from Psalm 86. It says, My Lord, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are very patient and full of faithful love. 
Maybe you've heard it slow to anger and have a steadfast love. Well, this is the character of God, compassion, mercy, patient, full of faithful love. We depend upon God to be these things because like any other children we know in our lives, all of us as children of God test God's patience, we test God's compassion, and we test God's mercy regularly. Amen? Or is it just me? We need God to be the parent we need. And so we supplicate, or another way to say is that we we ask or we beg earnestly and with humility, God, be for us who we need. And that supplication continues in the next line. Bring your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Again, alluding to the trust we have that heaven on earth is where this whole story of the world is headed. This is a serious focus on our legacy as God's people. God's people have come from a past of God choosing the people Israel long ago through Abraham, and the story has expanded and been marching onward. So what God's people have been about is the blessing of the entire earth. What God's people have been about, where we've come from, it's who we've been from the beginning. It's who God has been and what God has been about. And so in this prayer, we honor that past as we also look to the future. The whole point of looking backward at the history of what God's been doing through God's people is not to go back there, but helping us understand the path so that we can understand the trajectory to help us find the path forward. And if our trajectory is toward heaven on earth, the reign of God here, the kingdom here, then through the will and help of our God, who is our loving parent, who is faithful, compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, and loving, that says a great deal about who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to be about as the church. Now that we know where we've come from, we proceed in that prayer. Give us the bread we need for today. Now, this phrase is loaded with meaning, much of which is something we, don't, we, can, we lose in our context. In Jesus' context, bread is the most basic form of sustenance in the culture. But it's also the symbol of all that truly sustains us, not just what comes on a plate, Bread alludes to manna in the wilderness in the days of Moses when God wanted the Israelites to trust in a new kind of way. And the idea was you don't hoard for tomorrow in what you need. Now, it started with the physical symbol. You've got to eat. God's going to give us what we need today. And in the wilderness in Moses' day, they weren't to collect for tomorrow because that means they're not trusting in God to provide tomorrow And so God said, don't collect for tomorrow, or what happened? Do you remember what happened to anything they collected? That's right. It became rotten. It was no good. They had to trust that God will provide every single day what they need. And again, not just what comes on the plate. Bread is wisdom in the ancient tradition, God's wisdom. Bread is also provided by a king, which is why when Jesus multiplies the loaves, they're ready to crown him king because that's what kings do. You give your allegiance to a king, you commit your life and and be at the king's beck and call and to do whatever the king wants to do and to submit yourself. And in return, the king provides for you and takes care of you. 
So this relationship, it's a, it's a history of a relationship of the king taking care of the people and the people submitting to the king. And so we ask for bread and all that it means from God for today because God is our king. We bow down in allegiance. We depend upon God. We trust God that we will have what we need for today. Not tomorrow. We don't worry about that. Only today. And then this next part. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. Jesus echoes this line immediately in two verses at the end of the prayer when he says, if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Forgiveness is a huge focus of this prayer, which makes sense, right? If being a disciple is about being a follower of Jesus Christ, whose life is centering on loving God and loving others, then this makes sense. Our life is centering on loving God, the Father King, who takes care of us and loves us, and loving others, people whom God also takes care of and loves, everyone else. The number one thing that gets in the way of us living into a proper relationship with one another is sin. We want to use the umbrella term. We sin when we wrong one another. We sin when we do not honor each other's dignity and humanity, when we don't honor our relationship, when we don't honor each other as created, beloved human beings, when we treat each other as objects, when we're willing to exploit one another for our own pleasure, we sin. Now, we do this to each other, yes? We wrong each other. Have you wronged someone? Has someone wronged you? And so, there is a direct connection, according to the biblical prayer, between the relationship we have with others and the relationship we have with God. If one is out of order, the other is out of order. This is heavy because we, we human beings, we are proud. I mean, why is it so hard to admit we are wrong? Why is it so hard to say I'm wrong, or I'm sorry. I mean, if we're honest, we're living by our own coat of arms, aren't we? We have this idea that we are right and always have been. Our group, whatever it is, our way is better. We know better. We aren't fools. We are wise, and we will fight to defend our sense of self-wisdom. And if we're honest when we live like this, no matter what group we're fighting for, it's a life that resembles a showy prayer. We live boldly and loudly by the way we do almost everything for our group. We want the best stuff on us. We want to dress right, have the right phone in our pocket. We want to drive and live in the best stuff because we still struggle with self-centeredness. Any other coat of arms except biblical prayer is really all about us. And even in our faith, we do this. I mean, have you ever thought things like, well, Christians are better because our religion is the best? Or, we United Methodists, we're the best of all the Protestant denominations. I mean, we do this in our faith. We think these things because we're human. 
and we struggle to stay on the path of biblical prayer. And so, in the, the biblical prayer, we focus a great deal on forgiveness. We acknowledge that the relationship we desire with God is directly connected to the relationship we share with all other people. So the next line, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You could say it another way, help us stay on the path. Don't let us get tripped up, Lord. Who's your biggest adversary when it comes to getting tripped up? Who trips you up the most? Yeah. Yeah, we trip ourselves up right? No one and nothing trips me up like I trip myself up. Lord, help me. Deliver me. And that's the end of the prayer as it's taught in our most ancient and trusted manuscripts of Matthew. Quite a prayer. You've heard many times, familiar yet maybe unfamiliar. Now, people hold this prayer in many different ways. And I'm not talking about the words we use or how we translate it, but how we use and function with the prayer. So some will say this prayer regularly as if by saying it over and over again every week or whatever, it's like a magic combination of words that brings some kind of blessing upon the speaker. We'll be good Christians if we just say this prayer. And some want to argue about the particular words as if that's the focus. But one way I've heard people hold this prayer I want to share with you. What they do is they look at this prayer and they break it into parts. And so the first part of the prayer puts us in proper relationship. God is in charge. I am God's child. I am allegiant to God and therefore taken care of. And then the next part is I'll trust that I'll receive what I need today. Or another way to say it is today is secure. I don't need to worry about today. And then the next part of the prayer, I trust that my past wrongs are taken care of just as I have taken care of the past wrongs against me. And so if I am in right relationship with the past between God and others, then my past is secure. And then the final part is I trust that God will lead me in the future. And so the future is secure. So with all that in mind, I'm in right relationship and I have security in the past, the present, and the future. So now, being free of worry, free of any broken relationship, I can simply live in the light of this loving relationship and security. I can, I'm simply free to go and live without any need to focus on worrying about myself and being self-centered. I like this approach to the prayer. It gives it a different twist and it helps me hear it differently when I say it now. It's simple. It's a simple idea. But God, it's so hard to embrace fully. I mean, maybe that's why we say the prayer over and over and over again. To remind ourselves of the calling. To allow the prayer to work on our hearts time and again as we walk this path. To keep us moving forward on the path. So let me ask you, what's holding you back from having right relationship and having a secure past, present, and future, from moving forward on the path. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from moving forward? Is it yourself? What's holding us back as a church, as a church here in Sellersburg and as a denomination? What's holding us back? 
What's keeping us from moving forward in the progress of heaven coming to earth? As we wrestle with these things, and we need to wrestle with them, let us trust in the good news that Jesus Christ guides us along the path of a richer and deeper life of faithful discipleship through biblical prayer. We only need to follow our teacher. And we need to regularly remember and remind ourselves of where it's all headed. So I invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Pray it multiple times. Find different translations. Find the one that works for you and pray it. And think about the lines. Read each line using the SOAPI method from our reading this week. You learned about that method of prayer. You also learned about Lectio Divina, a way to pray with Scripture. So use that method if that's comfortable for you. But work through this prayer daily. Maybe if you didn't do the reading, <laughs> you can read the prayer and then rewrite each line using your own words and what you find it to mean today. And write it line by line each day and allow it to work. Friends, through the path of biblical prayer, be reminded that God is your parent and king. That you are loved. You are taken care of. Trust your past to God. Trust your present to God. And trust your future to God. And then go and live accordingly. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 